Tuesday, January 23rd, and welcome back to the Damon Bruce Show. It's wonderful to have you here. You could be a whole bunch of places, but you choose to be here, and I thank you very, very much. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. You ready to talk about beef? We got beef. We got beef all around us. This is the Beef Bowl between the 49ers and Detroit Lions coming up on Saturday. And the winner of the Beef Bowl gets to go on to play for something that they call the Super Bowl. But you don't get there without the beef. And here we go. Because it's what's for dinner on Sunday night. Trent Williams, you got a chance to go to the Super Bowl, my man. Aaron Banks, you are a bulldozer. And the two of you need to level the earth for Christian McCaffrey to run to the, I mean, it's, it's, it's Detroit. You're going to hear what cars by Gary Newman in one of the rejoins. You can guarantee that you're going to get an assembly line production shot. You guaranteed to get that. Uh, you will hear something about Ford or Chevy. I don't know who sponsored this, but whoever ponied up the most money might even get a, a verbal reference. Like you're going to hear an awful lot about the cars because it's the Detroit lions. Motor City Kitties, right? Um, Along that note, pave the road. Pave the road to the end zone. There has been an awful lot made about how good Detroit's offensive line is. And there's been an awful lot of complaining that, you know, there are elements of the 49ers offensive line that doesn't quite live up to its expectations. You know what? That left side of that offensive line should be as good as any offensive line in football. The left side of it, I am looking at Trent Williams and Aaron Banks, and I'm going to say, you two guys, the two of you, the left side of that offensive line, have more to do with the 49ers getting to the Super Bowl than a lot of people want to talk about, a lot of people want to give credit to. The left side of the 49ers offensive line is where salvation lies. And this is where the 49ers need to attack and attack. And I don't care if it's predictable. Um, It's not like the 49ers got lambs everywhere else. But that left side can play overwhelming football. And they need to be overwhelming in the NFC Championship game. This is real big boy football. You're going to see the Detroit Lions coming out with their big boy pants on. This is what Dan Campbell does, after all. You know, we know that. We've seen it. Doesn't matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes. I will beat your ass. Again, how that's not on... A T-shirt already, I don't know. That's one of the greatest quotes in the history of football. I don't care how many toes or ass cheeks. I don't care how many kneecaps the 49ers see. They got to be the one biting kneecaps. They need to be the aggressor. They need to be the line that is setting the tone of the game. And when it comes to beef, there's beef on both sides of the line that we need to talk about. Before I get into this moment of critiquing, moment of criticism, let me say emphatically, I would have spent the money to retain Eric Bosa if I were the, or excuse, Eric Bosa, who's Eric Bosa? Nick Bosa. I would, I would have, I would have spent the money to keep Bosa back. I would have absolutely spent the money on him as the reigning defensive player of the year. That is a guy you never say goodbye to. You want a guy like Nick Bosa on your team. You have to have a guy like Nick Bosa on your team, given the fact the the league is just, you know, awash with really good 
offensive linemen. You need someone who can beat these guys. And Nick Bosa beats offensive linemen in front of him with more regularity than some statistics show, including the granddaddy statistic of them all for defensive ends, edge rushers, whatever you want to call them, the sack. Nick Bosa. And look, there is so much more going on in a game of football than just sacking a quarterback. I'm not saying that it's the only stat that matters. QB hits, pressures, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. That's all really good stuff. But none of it is as important as a sack. Because like a knockout, a sack ends a play right there. No more damage can be done. No more worrying about this snap because this snap ends when that quarterback goes down and goes down hard. Heavy is the $170 million crown. Nick Bosa wears a $170 million crown. It's the largest contract ever given to a defensive player in the history of football. And with that comes expectations. And I have a level of expectations for Nick Bosa that while I appreciate the nuance, I'm telling you, it's that time of year where show me the sack. Nick Bosa hasn't recorded a sack in a month. Nick Bosa's last sack came with 7.33 left in the second quarter of the Arizona game. It was a strip sack of Kyler Murray. Arizona recovered the fumble. But that's December 17th. Nick Bosa has not recorded a sack since December 17th. He is too good to not have a sack between Christmas and Martin Luther King Day with the highest leverage games of the year being played. Nick Bosa, it's time to get home, brother. It's time to cash in on the highest paycheck ever given to a defensive player. 18 quarters of football. 18 quarters of football since Nick Bosa has gotten home on a quarterback. And look, it's been a down year for the defensive line because it's been a down year for Nick Bosa. He didn't have more than two sacks in a single game at any point in time this year. His 10 and a half sacks is the fewest sacks that he's had in his last three seasons. He did have five quarterback hits against Jordan Love. Again, a game that left a lot of complaints on the table. You go back and rewatch it. One of the first things you'll admit to yourself is on a day where there was plenty to complain about, maybe I should complain about Nick Bosa's performance in this game less because he did hit Jordan Love five different times, but he's only had three other quarterback hits since that Arizona game. He is not getting home. He is not hitting the quarterback. He is not doing much more than moving the pocket, which is valuable. But I'm tired of having to be a sommelier of defensive line appreciation to appreciate this. I should just be able to look at it, sip it, say, that's delicious. I like it. Pour more. And that's sacks. That's sacks. Eight quarterback hits in a month of high leverage football. That's what he's had in his last month. Eight quarterback hits, zero sacks in the highest leverage football games of the entire season. And so it's time for more. It is time for more from Nick Bosa. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's time to officially wake up the Buckeye boys. Like, you guys upset that Michigan got a win over the Buckeyes again? You upset that the Wolverines and the national champs get over it? Chase Young, it's time for you to do something. And it's not just time for you to do something 
for the 49ers. It's time for you to do something for your own career. Like we talk about walk years and contract years being great, powerful motivators. Well, Chase Young has not done much in a 49ers uniform to the point where I'm telling you right now, 49ers aren't bringing him back. So Chase Young is not only trying to help the Niners win something huge this year, but he's also auditioning for wherever where he's going to play next year. This guy, since putting on a 49ers uniform, Chase Young has 10 total tackles, five of them solo, and he has one sack. But that one sack is a bit of an illusion because he hasn't recorded an entire sack on his own in any one 49er game. He had a half a sack against Arizona and a half a sack against Baltimore. Chase Young, you're a physical specimen. But your get off, your bend, your speed, all this, all the words you hear the defensive end and edge rusher sommeliers continue to talk about throughout the tasting menu. Um, three total quarterback hits. Three total quarterback hits. I have zero. He only has three. He needs more. The 49ers in a game of beef need more from their beefy Buckeyes straight up. There's just no, no. I mean, I, I don't care how you go about producing more. I don't care. Do it. Chase Young. Maybe you're a false prophet. I don't know. Nick Bosa. You're not a false prophet. You're a real prophet, but it was a down year, buddy. The first time you cashed that major, 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 major paycheck. And he's clearly, Somebody whose holdout is far away enough to where it's not mattering anymore. Um, he is a physical specimen. There isn't an ounce of fat anywhere on that man's body. He is committed to the bit, the role. And that's part of the reason why he gets paid what he gets paid. This man puts the work in. He puts the nutritional choices into his own equation. He's done everything to prepare himself for this moment. Now it's time to live up to it. Nick Bosa, Jared Goff is the closest. And how about this? Jared Goff is the last stationary target you're going to see all year, either because you lost to the Lions or you got to the Super Bowl and you know for a fact that neither Patrick Mahomes nor Lamar Jackson is a stationary target. If this team, if the Buckeye boys aren't all over Jared Goff, I don't know if they deserve to go to Las Vegas. So it's time to wake up. It's time, Nick Bosa. It's time, Chase Young. It's time, Eric Armstead. It's time, Javon Hargrave. It's time, Javon Kinlaw. It's time. These guys are one of the highest drafted, highest compensated defensive lines that we know when they are on it, the other team's chances of winning descends dramatically. Maybe why a few of these games at the end of the year have not been dramatic wins for the 49ers have been because these guys are not getting what they're paid highly done to do. They got to get it done. Got to get it done. Buckeye boys, wake up. It's time. Hmm. It was also the perfect time for the sip of the day. There it is. After uh, not seeing a sip of the day on Friday or Monday due to previous broadcasts and coffee consumption, you got your sip of the day right there. 
Gosh, that was, I'm going to go in for another. Excuse me. Mmm. That's good. That's perfect. That might be the sip of the month. <laughs> Nick Bosa hasn't had a sack in a month. He needs a sack. He needs a sack. I see the postman asking a question. Is Bosa playing too many snaps in the regular season? His fuel tank might be running low. Nope. No. No. And I don't think that's a problem. I don't think energy is a problem when you had the layoff that the Niners afforded themselves. I don't th- I don't think that is the issue. Getting home is the issue. I don't know why it's become an issue for this guy. But he's got to. Heavy, wears the, heavy, heavy is the head that wears the crown of the largest defensive contract ever handed out. Expectations go up with that, not down. He had a down year based on expectations. He can make all that vanish with a couple of sacks in the next couple of games. And I'm not trying to say that they're automatically going to beat Detroit or anything, but if Nick Bosa's getting a Jared Goff, it's going to help the 49ers get to Las Vegas. There's no doubt about that. We all know it. I want to thank uh, a guy who's absolutely going to help me get to Las Vegas because last night I officially got the call from Ike saying, Dude, if the Niners are going, you're coming on out here too. That's my man right there. And I want you to go ahead and support Ike because he supports the show that you you support yourselves. Get yourself an Ike sandwich. Order on his app. Download it. Go ahead. Because if you are a member of the app, you get a free Ike's Rewards point for every point the 49ers score in the postseason. That's that's the path to free sandwiches right there. So you go ahead, download that Ike's Reward app. Think about Ike's for lunch, whether you're doing it for yourself, your family. If you're at the office, Ike's Catering is a great way to make that entire office lunch hour much happier than it would be had you ordered from somewhere else. If you're in the sandwich business, get into the business with Ike. Uh, I want to tell you that if you're in the business of making some plays, In the big coming weeks ahead, in terms of wagering, mybookie.ag, use promo code DAMON when you sign up. You'll be very, very happy that you did because you get a 50% deposit match up to $1,000. I'm going to tell you, if you got a barking knee, a bad hip, if you got a bad shoulder, and you're thinking of uh, maybe agreeing to a full-on or partial replacement with surgery, go see Dr. Paul Hughes before you do that. His cellular replacement therapy is changing medicine in real time. Orthopedicsurgeries.com if you want to avoid an orthopedic surgery. He sponsors Post Game and Damon, but he's been so good to us. We want to give him some love and some run. And because we give our friends love and run, Uncle Boys, hello, we love you too. So there you go. Support those who support me. It would mean an awful lot. You've done an incredible job supporting. Drop a like. Drop a a, a subscribe on me if you haven't already. Monday was one of the most watched days in the history of this channel. We are ticking upwards in the correct direction once again. And thank you all very, very much for supporting what you're seeing. I want to ask why. It's so hard to just admit for some people that Brock Purdy is pretty good. Brock Purdy, 
should not be this firebrand of controversy that the media has turned him into. The controversy about Brock Purdy is as much of a media creation as some of the over-criticism of what he might not be is a straight-up media creation. If you watch with your own naked eyes and you've watched the entire season of football, to walk away with any evaluation other than, hey, that guy's pretty good, is is absurd. And then when you then go to the box score, when you go to the stats to confirm whether or not your eyes are lying to you or not, then you go from, geez, he's pretty good to... He might be really good. This is a very natural progression that has always been used to identify decent quarterbacks in this league. Hey, what'd you think when you watched him? Thought he was pretty good. Okay, well, let's dive inside the analytics of it all. What are the numbers returning about his efficiency and and where he ranks among his peers in terms of stats we all deem important for quarterbacks to produce? Well, Not only was this guy pretty good to the naked eye, but he is like number one in a ton of stats that say this is an important quarterbacking stat. Now, maybe it's too much to say, yeah, because of that, he is already your MVP. You want a little bit more before you start handing out MVPs to this guy. Okay, fine. Keep the MVP. I don't give a shit, but that's not where we are. Like, we have some people really trying to separate him from the group of quarterbacks who are even worthy about being discussed is really good, and I just don't get it. How is Brock Purdy a firebrand? How? He's got the numbers to support that he's been really good. He had the numbers last year to support that he's in the middle of an awful lot of winning. This guy is in his second NFC championship game in as many years as he's been in the league. Beyond all of that, when we talk about players who ignite controversy for just getting hosts through a segment's sake, they normally pick on guys who stand out a little bit or are trying to get a little bit more attention than they might even deserve. And Brock Purdy is the complete opposite of that. He's quiet. He's unassuming. He seeks zero attention, but for the attention that's given to the job that he, that he has. I'm not sure he has Twitter or TikTok or Facebook or Instagram. I'm not even sure Brock Purdy's got an email. Um, I, I don't know who he's dating. I don't know uh, his, his love life, his history. He's certainly not, you know, making sure that there's room for his pop star girlfriend in some press box every week. Like he's the opposite of that. I know who his roommate is. That's it. It's Nick Zackle. Okay. Okay. I know who his roommate is. There's there's nothing to hate about Brock Purdy other than the circular conversation that people continue to have around him. And because it's a circle, it never stops. It's ridiculous. You know, he's pretty good. He's pretty good in a lot of situations he's been in. There have been other situations where maybe it wasn't as good. And you know what? We see these quarterbacks in these situations all the time. 
How come other quarterbacks are given the grace that Brock Purdy is never given through these situations? And they're like six, seven, eight years into their career. Brock Purdy has yet to play, what, 25 NFL games or whatever it is? I don't even know the number, but it's a small number of games that he's played. And look at how much winning he's produced. It's, it's crazy. And what's also just an absolute sign of the times this is a sign of the times. There, in my entire life covering sports, there has never been a situation where a story like this was dismissed from just the great story that it is. I mean, the fact that everybody is measuring Brock Purdy against the league's best quarterbacks and the best quarterbacks that have played throughout NFL history, the fact that Brock Purdy is being measured against them and not late-round draft picks or even quarterbacks that he was drafted with, no matter what round they came out of, it's absurd. And the fact that we're trying to explain that Patrick or that, 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 that Patrick Mahomes is better than Brock Purdy, some people are really trying to do that. I don't know why anyone needs to hear that or, or thinks that there's a segment I got to lean into. Of course, Patrick Mahomes is better. Of course he is. But the fact that we're even talking about these two means this other guy is in the conversation. And if you are in a conversation with the best quarterbacks in the NFL that quickly into your career, there might be something there. Then you get to the original starting point of where this man comes from. Stories like this used to be celebrated not used as cannon fodder to just describe what he isn't. Guys like Brock Purdy, stories like Brock Purdy's used to be celebrated. Now they're only greeted with suspicion and predisposed opinions. Or, you know, like, I've never thought much of Mr. Irrelevant, so I'm not going to think much of him now. Well, that takes no effort at all. The effort in the analysis is figuring out whether or not your original premise is right or wrong. Like the task isn't just, just stick with the original premise because your original premise about somebody might be wrong. Like nobody wants to change their opinion. Everyone is just hunkering down deeper into their opinion. And it's absurd. I don't know I don't know why sports has become this. I really don't understand it. Stories like Purdy's rare as they are used to be celebrated with a decent to sometimes great amount of fanfare. It seems like the media is angry. It even has to discuss a player like Brock Purdy like ah oh, oh this guy. This guy this guy should be a 7,000-word column for every single writer in America. This is a great story. There's nothing about this that doesn't drip with great story. Why are so many people mad at it? I don't get it. Now, let's say, you know, you're, a, you would, you're, you're one of them biased agenda guys who were counting training camp interceptions as if they were interceptions in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl and you're breathlessly covering what he isn't in situations that really don't mean much. Well, look at where he is again. 
Again, this guy is in the NFC Championship game. And you should move on from your original premise of he might not be good enough at this point in time. You know, I mean, if you've got to be dragged through a floor of broken glass to just be like, you know, he's pretty good. He, he might not be as good as everyone who thinks he could be an MVP is, is saying, but he's, he's, he's definitely not a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. He is better than that. And there are some who can't even say that. It's, it's just nuts. I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe there's just too many people. How about this? Not everyone's voice was meant to be heard. But this isn't just anonymous yahoos tweeting. These are like paid for NFL analysis at the uh, analysts at the, at the network level. Like former players, some of them still don't know what they're seeing or they're pretending for the sake of the whatever program they're on. That they don't see. I don't. I don't get it. I, I, again, I just do not get it. One of the greatest stories of all time is happening. Do you want to cover it? Is it's actually happening, or you just want to stick with your opinions that nah, it's still not good enough? A lot of people are just sticking with those. I don't. I just don't get it. Uh, by the way. It's good to be in the football business if you're a television network, and you better pray that football never goes exclusively to, um, uh, 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 you know, like some streaming services because network TV would die right there. And then CBS dropped a monster rating update on everybody. Uh, Chiefs and Bills averaged 50 million viewers. It's the best rating ever for a divisional round. Last season's Cowboys-Niners game in the same window window got like 45 million viewers. So the 5 million who said they'll never watch again when Kaepernick took his knee must have decided that enough time has passed that they've come back this year. I don't know. But um, everyone who was never going to watch football again was lying then, and they're back watching now. And that's how that game got 50 million. 50 million average, meaning at any point in time, 50 million were watching Chiefs and Bills. That's that's an incredible number. By the way, Saturday's Packers-Niners divisional round game averaged 37.5 million viewers, which is the biggest number produced on a Saturday night across any network since NBC aired the Nancy Kerrigan-Tanya Harding 94 Lillehammer Winter Olympics 30 years ago. So the biggest Saturday night rating in network TV was driven by Packers and Niners. And then the single biggest divisional round rating of all time was delivered by Chiefs and Bills on Sunday. My goodness. People really like football. I see my, my chat... Our chat, it's not mine, it's ours. It is flying right now. Lots of people. I can't even get to all this stuff. We will save. Um, uh, we will say, well, here's something. Now, this is, you know, the Bosa family only cares about counting money. Jose Julian. Well, that's unfair. You, you had both Bosa boys prove themselves to be in situation where they should be highly compensated. But now they need to go out and live up to that billing. 
the Bosa family only cares about one thing, counting money. That's what a lot of families care about. I want both of my sons to go out and make as much money and be as successful as possible in their chosen endeavors. Again, I don't have a problem with what they're paying them. I have a problem with the production in the last month of high leverage football. It's time for the Buckeye boys to get at it. All right. So we will hop into the chat here in just a little bit. We'll do some club plusin. Got some NBA news. Now, we're not going to stay in the NBA long. We're going to get back into the chat, and we're going to get back into the NFL, obviously. But uh, Joel Embiid had a career-high 70 against the Spurs, and there's no blowing holes in a 70-point game. Like, that's a monster night of basketball, no matter how it happens. He also had 18 rebounds, 5 assists, and 1 turnover. But I had to open up the box score because with any Joel Embiid point total, my first question is always, well, how many free throws was he given that night? Not how many free throws did he earn? How many was he given? Because NFL or NBA officials give Joel Embiid a level of free throws that borders on absurd almost every game he plays. He was 24 of 41 from the floor, but he was 21 of 23 from the free throw line. In his career, Joel Embiid has averaged 10 free throw attempts per game. And in just his last two seasons, that career average of 10 has risen to 11.7 last year. And this year, Joel Embiid is shooting 12.2 free throws per game. Now, you know, when you become an MVP, you start getting that MVP's whistle. Unless your name is Steph Curry. And I know that Joel Embiid and Steph Curry couldn't be built any more different physically, couldn't play on the floor differently anymore. Like the gap between the two is as wide as it gets. But it is absurd when I start telling you this. The night that Steph Curry got his career high as 62, he got to the line 19 times. He was 18 and 19 from the free throw line against the Portland Trailblazers that evening where he got his career high 62. Steph Curry, if he were routinely shooting free throws in the high teens, low 20s, he would have already surpassed 62 a million different times. Seriously. Steph Curry's career free throw attempts, 4.4. 4.4 per game. And we see him off the ball, getting manhandled all over the court. We know he gets chopped in half on the way to the, the to, to you know to to the layup line, and it, he still gets the worst whistle I've ever seen an MVP get. Whether I covered the Warriors or not, I would tell you that, and I think the numbers back it up a bit too. The most free throws per game averaged in any season for Steph Curry was six point three back in twenty twenty one. Again. Career average for Embiid is 10. And in the last year, this year, he's doubling Steph Curry's career high in free throws. I know you officiate centers and guards differently. I know that Curry, like all jump shooters, is going to find himself at the line less than guys who drive to the rim. But Curry does drive to the rim quite a bit. And for a jump shooter, uh, he, he should still even be going more to the line than he does. Uh, one other thing about the Warriors, just to tell you about, they are back on the court Wednesday night against the Atlanta Hawks. Heavy Hearts will be in the building, obviously, with all 
that the Warriors have been through. I highly recommend, if you're subscribing to The Athletic, reading Marcus Thompson's recount of how Steve Kerr is the the right guy to lead the Warriors through this moment. And it's a really good article. I, I urge that you read Marcus Thompson's story. Um, Cavs' Tristan Thompson, by the way, got suspended 25 games for violating the league's anti-drug policy. The 32-year-old got popped for a little HGH steroid cocktail. He's averaging four points and four rebounds in 12 minutes this year. So Tristan Thompson is at that God, I'm just trying to hold on to my career stage of his career. And that's when maybe you get tempted to take steroids or maybe he's been on it the whole time. But if you've been on it the whole time, uh, how, how do you how do, how do you not know how to cheat the system? Um, desperation set in and he's looking for something and he got caught. I'm not even going to I'm not, I'm not going to play holier than now. I'm not going to say, hey, dude, don't get don't take steroids to hold on to your career. Don't get caught. Don't get caught. Last thing to tell you about before we go into Club Plus, again, we never, ever, ever going to waste your time here on the Damon Bruce Show. It's not what YouTube was invented for, to waste time, to drag you through hours of programming that you do not need because it's repetitive over and over and over again. But we do have one more piece of news, and that's the Miami Heat acquired Hornets guard Terry Rozier for Kyle Lowry in a projected 2027 first-round pick. Uh, Rozier is going to make the Miami Heat better. 23.2 points per game, six points a game. He's having one of the best years of his career. That guy is tried and true. He is a good player. Uh, Woj reporting that the Hornets are looking to work uh, to move Lowry, who is 37 years old. He's making nearly 30 million a year right now. So that is either going to be a cap, you know, a, an expiring contract that someone wants to take, or he's going to eventually be bought out and available to just about anybody. He's not the answer, Warriors fans. Don't even start. I don't know what the Warriors' answer is. I just read a big article about what the Lakers might do to improve their team. And in all the options, not one of them involved a single Golden State Warrior. I think the Warriors are just going to have to play, play what, play the hand that they got, the hand that they have dealt themselves. And there it is. Wrapped in a nice, tight little package. I hope you certainly enjoyed today's show, listening on the podcast. I thank you so very much. If you are on YouTube, Club Plus is around the corner. If you're listening to the podcast, I thank you so much. And remember that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, he's gone.